All right, Uh, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. We're in chapter 12 again this morning. Been having a good time watching Olympics, yes? No? No, not a fan? Really? Isn't that something? Anybody watch the Olympics at all? Anybody? Okay, there we go. You're just kind of um, sluggish this morning. I like those worms out in the parking lot. That is so disgusting, and that smell is so rank. That's right, we're talking about the Olympics. So we kind of had a medals drought this year. Not a lot of uh, medals coming back to the U.S. Uh, Michaela Schifrin this week uh, got a couple for us. Got a gold medal in um, giant slalom and then a silver in the alpine combined. By the way, do you know that they don't earn a lot of money for, the, for winning? Uh, gold is $37,500. <clears throat> and if you are part of a team effort like the women's hockey team, that gets divided up among everybody, which doesn't leave much to take home. I think silver is like 22000 something like that. And yet you think, you think about the, the tangible rewards for that. Now, if you get endorsements, great. But the tangible rewards for actually doing what they're doing. And yet they are absolutely consumed, body, mind, and schedule, for four to eight years <clears throat> getting ready for the Olympics. I mean, it's just nuts what they do and what they don't do. So they're training day in and day out, six days a week, uh, 12 months out of the year, six to seven hours a day at least. Um, not just a, like if they're sk- uh, skaters, not just practice skating, but they're doing uh, plyometrics, they're doing weights, they're doing all kinds of physical training that will increase their endurance, increase their strength, their ability to do the particular sport. And then their diet, uh, that, that just wouldn't work for me. I mean, the things that they eat and that they don't, they don't eat, that's more of a problem. Uh, chia seeds and veggies and fruit and, and avocado toast. And I, I mean, a little bit of salmon here and there. I, as I'm reading down through their diets, nowhere do I see cheeseburgers, no potato chips anywhere. I'm like, no, that's just not going not gonna to happen. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, bedtime is sort of um, um, an aspiration. Do you know what I mean? I'm hoping to get to bed by 10 or 10.30. I mean, for these folks, it's an obligation. And they're looking at, at not just the bedtime, but they're going to plan to get eight to nine hours of sleep every night. I mean, this just doesn't leave you much time, energy to do much else. And they're saying, in order for me to be a champion for my country, <clears throat> I will do anything necessary to succeed at Pyeongchang. Anything necessary. And this morning we want to talk about that question regarding those of us who follow Jesus. Are you a champion for Jesus? Such that it consumes your mind, your body, your schedule, your energy. Am I a champion for Jesus? I'm not asking this morning, are you saved? Are you a champion for Jesus. Luke chapter 12, we're going to start reading at verse 35. <clears throat> Jesus speaking to his disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready, waiting for his return, will be rewarded. 
I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Now, he may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Now, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So Jesus is talking about his second coming, his, his return. Peter asked, Lord, is this, that illustration or parable, is that just for us or is that for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. Now, if the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, nah, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced, unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Father God, thanks for the word of Christ that has been faithfully transmitted down through 2,000 years. We're grateful that we have a, a book, not just the words that have been passed down in oral form, but we have a book to be able to go back to time and time again to see the words of Christ, to hear the prophecies of God, to see the words, words of your faithful spokesmen who were not just coming up with ideas cooked up out of their own brains, but were, as the scriptures say, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so we read this this morning, not just as interesting historical poetry, but rather the very word of God intended for the very people of God, for their good and for your glory. And I pray that as we um, kind of wrestle with some of the things that Christ was saying to us, we'd have eyes to see, ears to hear, um, that the Holy Spirit would have free reign this morning, and that, uh, conversely, that the enemy would not, that you would bind him, and he would not be able to in any way influence our thinking, our understanding, our embracing what Jesus has said for us. pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Champions for Jesus. Now, Jesus starts out by saying, be dressed and keep your light lamps burning as though you're waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. He is talking about himself. He's talking about his coming back to earth. It's interesting. Uh, this is not a minor subject for Jesus. There's 15 times that it's recorded in the gospel accounts that Jesus says, I'm coming back. Uh, another 44 times that the rest of the New Testament writers speak about it. So about 60 instances of this 
uh, in the New Testament alone. Jesus is coming back. What's he coming back for? He's coming back to reward his servants, his followers. Uh, He's coming back to right all wrongs. He's coming back to sentence all those who are not his followers. And he is coming back to set up and rule a kingdom on planet earth for a thousand years, according to Revelation chapter 20, first seven verses or so. And Jesus is looking at those of us who know him, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, and saying, this intervening season between when I go back to heaven with my father and when I come again, I want you to be on duty. I want you to be dressed like you're expecting me to return. I want you to be equipped as if you're expecting me to return. Now he's talking here to, he's using the uh, imagery of a servant. I don't know that any of us have servants. So maybe if he was talking to some of us in small groups, he might say like, if you're a group of plumbers, say, all right, make sure you have your jeans on and you have your pipe wrench and you're a snake, not just in the truck, but uh, in your hands. Uh, If you're a soldier, make sure that you have your uniform on, that your weapon is uh, cleaned and loaded, ready to go. In other words, we're living as if we are expecting to be used at a moment's notice. And Jesus is here giving the picture of a master who might have been away at a wedding. And weddings in ancient times in the Middle East could last a very long time. And so the servant wouldn't necessarily know when his master and wife are coming home. He's supposed to be ready for whenever they come home. So if it's 11 o'clock at night, he's there to open the door. He has his lamp burning so he can, sh- it can shine the way to the, uh, to the bedroom for them. If it's 4.30 in the morning, he's always on call. He's always on duty, always ready to, always ready to serve. And Jesus is sa- calling uh, those of us who are his followers to live like this. And then he uses the example of a homeowner who gets his home broken into and he says, what if the burglar called you up and said, uh, plan going to be there about 8, 15 this evening. What would you do? Burglars don't usually work like that. Uh, but if they did, you would be, you'd have the door locked. You might be armed. You might have 911 on speed dial. Uh, you're ready for what, you're ready. 8, 15, he's coming in. I'm, I'm ready to handle him. And Jesus is saying, you should be like that about my return. That you're assuming it could be at any moment. And you're planning for it to be any moment. You're, you're ready to go. You're ready to serve. Now, the question might come to mind as we hear this. You know, I, what does this look like? Who in the world is Jesus speaking to? Is this, we just kind of stand around and, and kind of look up into the sky as some in the early church did. You know, they wouldn't go to their jobs. They just stand there watching, waiting for Jesus to come back because they thought it was going to come back really soon. Is Jesus talking just to pastors or, or people who are in full-time ministry? They're really super spiritual folks because after all, they're, they're the ones who are serving on the kind of front lines. Not so. Those of you who watched the Super Bowl, <clears throat> in the wake of that, um, the NBC reporter went over to interview Coach uh, Peterson. And he said to him, he said, nine years ago, you were coaching a high school team down in Louisiana. And here you are, um, you know, just a couple of years in as a, as a head coach, and you're standing with a Super Bowl winning team. How, how do you explain all that? And, and I didn't know Peterson was a Christian, but he jumps in at that point 
And he says, I can only give, give to praise to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for giving me this opportunity. Uh, don't you think that these interviewers, when they, they have somebody like that, they have a Christian in front of them and saying things like that, they just go, oh, brother. How soon can we get beyond the religious stuff to the really important stuff like the, the score and the trick plays and all of that? And I, and I thought, this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. Exactly the kind of thing that, that in other words, that we're always ready to hear from him opportunity, whether it's to speak for him, whether it's to serve him, and whether it's to show the love of Christ by serving others. You know, we talk here uh, in our vision statement, the preamble to our vision statement at Keystone, that the, that the church is, is first and foremost for the glory of God. Second of all, it's for other people. And lastly, it's for me. And that's the way our faith is supposed to be. It's first and foremost for the glory of God. Second, for me to serve other people. And lastly, for me. I don't know how many of you saw this video. It's floating around on the internet. I saw it on Facebook last week. <clears throat> There's so much, so much junk on there. I love the good stuff that people you know, go to the trouble of making really cool videos. And this was one of them. It was an elderly man who had a walker, and he was walking across a street with a bag of apples. Any of you seen this? A couple of you. And he's going really, really slow, and the traffic stopped. They have a red light. And he looks up at the, uh, at the light that's counting down how much time pedestrians have to get across the street. And it's not looking good. Ten, nine, you know, and he's like going like this. And even in the video, you're watching you're like, dude, there's no way you're going to make it. And all of a sudden, his bag, uh, one handle falls, falls out of his hand and the apples scatter all over the street. And the cameraman takes uh, some shots of some of the drivers sitting there, kind of rolling their eyes, oh, brother. And then all of a sudden, one driver puts his car in park, opens his door, gets out, starts help pick up the apples. And sure enough, another driver, and then another driver gets out, starts helping pick up the apples. And you see somebody over standing on the sidewalk. They have their finger on the button, you know, to hold the light so that it's still going to stay red for a little bit. And somebody else has gotten out of their car over here and they're standing, putting their hand up against the traffic. Don't, don't come. And all the apples get picked up. And this young man who's maybe 23 hands him the bag and he makes his way across the street. Listen, friends, that's being on duty for Jesus. Amen? It's being on duty for Jesus. And all of life is like that. All, all of life is an opportunity for us to either live for Jesus' purposes or our own. All of life is an opportunity for us to live for Christ's pleasure or our own. All of life is an opportunity for us to make our own agenda priority or make Christ's agenda our priority. All of life gives us opportunities to pick and to choose me or him. So Jesus is not saying, okay, stop grocery shopping, stop going to work, stop going to class, don't play on that team. He's not saying that. He's rather saying, as you play on the team, as you go to work, as you go to get groceries, as you live your life in your home, are you living for my purposes or are you living for your own? And what will I find when I come back? You know, we can get in a lot of quarrels about all of the 
what's going to happen before and when Jesus comes back and debate the pre-mid-post-trib and pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, agri-millennial. I don't know what all's in there. And Jesus, Jesus' focus was not to debate the issues surrounding his coming, but rather to remind his disciples that he's coming. And what will you, if you are my disciple, be doing when I come back? Whose agenda will you be serving when I come back? Whose glory will you be seeking when I come back? Like Olympians, champions for Jesus, orbit around this conviction. Jesus is coming back someday. And between now and then, I'm going to live as his champion. And don't misunderstand me. He's not talking about perfect Christians. He's not talking about prominent ones. He's not talking about religious ones. He's not talking about fanatical ones. He's talking about Christians who still commit sins, who still get sidetracked with unimportant things, but whose lives generally orbit around a Savior who died for them and is coming back. Now, there's some very sobering verses here beginning at verse 45. What if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? Now, Jesus is not talking primarily about people who are getting drunk and partying. He's talking about people who, in general, have forgotten that he's coming back. Or don't think that he's coming back anytime soon. And so it affects how they live. And they're going to live primarily for themselves. In other words, the idea of them being a champion for Jesus is kind of off their radar for now. I don't know if any of you saw this on uh, Twitter. But there's a thing going around called hashtag didn't make the Olympics because have you seen this didn't make the Olympics because um, some really funny stuff on there one guy's sitting in a um, salon chair with a stylist blow drying and curling his hair and he says uh, didn't make the Olympics because this is what I thought curling was one woman wrote uh, didn't make the Olympics because Uh, Apparently, running away from my responsibilities is not a sport. And then the last one, uh, didn't make the Olympics because I lacked the frame and the skill and the desire and a bunch of other things. People not really interested in making the Olympics, not dedicated to it, uh, not dieting the way they should, not sleeping the way they should, not training the way they should. And really not all that interested in making it to the Olympics. Not really interested in being a champion. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. There are some pseudo-disciples among the crowd. Who really don't have the, the, the interest in becoming that person that Jesus has called them to be. Oh, they like the idea of heaven... Like the idea of being made a child, called a child of God, they like the idea of God's wrath turned away from them. 
They really haven't grasped, though, that if you're going to be a champion for Jesus, it's not just what you get from him. And the reason that they're not all that excited about being a champion for him is because it's going to just take too much work. It doesn't pay all that much. Food isn't quite right. By the way, do you know some of these Olympians actually work part-time jobs to make ends meet? I have no idea. I thought there was some foundation or some organization that pays their way. Not the case. Part-time jobs, some of them have wealthy parents that uh, help out. Some of them win some earnings with international competitions. I was reading about one that got uh, a nine-month stipend for their training and their personal expenses based on one um, competition that they won. But you, you really don't make money until you get an endorsement. And these people like the idea of this, this, and this when you're a follower of Jesus, but not really this, this, and this. And this is how I uh, know that he's talking about false disciples, not just um, people who aren't, who wouldn't claim to be Christians. Uh, Look at verse 46. He says, The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. There's the category of unbelievers, the unfaithful. But this person is going to be banished with them. That's somebody who thinks he or she is not part of the unfaithful. And earlier in the verse, he calls them a servant. Hmm. Pseudo-disciples of Christ, pseudo-champions for Jesus. And they're going to face eternal banishment, eternal punishment, along with those who are unfaithful. These are folks who may have made a profession of faith. They might do religious things like go to church, but they never, ever let Jesus interrupt their lifestyle, their world, they're 24-7. They just don't. And if you've been a Christian long enough, you've met some folks like this. They're religious, but they're not followers of Jesus. And this is a sober warning for all of us who call ourselves Christians. There isn't one thing that you and I can do to make us more Christian than Jesus dying on the cross and being raised to life again. Not one thing more that we can add to that. Jesus paid the full penalty, but make no mistake about it. Those who've been truly born again by trusting Christ live like champions for Jesus. Some are gold medalists, some silver, some bronze. But all live like champions for Jesus to one degree or another. And then when you and I meet somebody who really doesn't live for Jesus, you know, we just don't see them living for Jesus. Are we going to love them enough to say, brother, sister, I, I, I don't see it. 
And if that's us, can we be honest enough with ourselves to say, Lord, search my heart. If I'm honest with you and honest with me, I empty. I know what that's life I like. I lived that life 15 years. And I want very much to warn others like me. Don't live like that for 15 years. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anyone who comes to Jesus, he will no wise cast out. Let me close with a couple of verses out of the book of Titus toward the end of your Bible. Titus chapter 2. So many passages in the New Testament we could look at to talk about how we live in light of Christ's return. We're going to start here at verse 12. Titus 2 verse 12. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures... We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Depending how you look at the final events and Jesus' return, whether you're pre-trib or post-trib or amo, you might think some things have to happen before Jesus comes back. All I know is this, that all through the New Testament, it says that you and I, who know Christ, should live like it could happen today, tomorrow. And that's Jesus' call to us this morning. Live like it could happen today, tomorrow. Have your uniform on. Be dressed Be geared up. Have your equipment available that at a moment's notice, not only are you ready to be taken by Christ, but at a moment's notice, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. It's an assignment that he has for you. It's probably not going to be all broadcast across the nation around the world at the end of a Super Bowl. But in big and small ways, Jesus has us on speed dial. For his purposes, his agenda, his mission, his pleasure. Are you living like that? Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for the fact that he was willing to come die, horrifically suffer before that death, and then bear on his own shoulders and in his own body the sins of the world. So the people who had nothing going for them could be made into something and someone. Thanks for the call, the assignments to follow hard after Christ, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to consider others better than ourselves, to be dressed for service. High calling. Sometimes it's not always that convenient, though. So I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself 
this week to live with the understanding that Jesus could come back any moment and to live the kind of life that would be fitting of someone who expects not a burglar at age 15, but a savior at age 15 or any time. In Jesus' name.